How's it going, Live Church? Does everyone have a good Sunday so far? Good. Everyone had a good week? Great. That is fantastic. Well, uh, last week, Pastor Tim said that he was finishing our series uh, called The Generous Life. Uh, but I have a word for you today that continues that series for just one more week, so just hang in there. Uh, this week, I got a chance to pretty celebrate a pretty significant milestone in my uh, adulting journey. Uh, I passed my driver's test, which... <laughs> That means a lot. Thank you so much. I don't have to ask my mom for uh, rides at 6 in the morning at church anymore. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. And uh, as a new driver, I have an understanding that there are certain rules and laws that I have to now abide by while I'm driving. I, have, I can't run red lights. Turn your signal on, please. Um, you know, yield all the good stuff while you're driving. And if I don't follow those guidelines and rules, I risk having my license revoked. I like to drive to church. I don't want to do that to my mom. So if I handle those poorly, I risk losing that. And today, during our time together, I'd like to share with you three observations from the story of Jonah so we can learn uh, to be good stewards of some of our gifts that we received. And one of the gifts that Jonah received was the gift of prophecy. And prophecy in Scripture tells us that it's the ability to hear from God by the Holy Spirit, and then to speak on God's behalf. And Jonah had this gift. I feel pretty blessed that I have a license, and it'll, you know, thank you, Mom, I love you so much. She's been such a good uh, person with church stuff. Um, but could you imagine, like, there's driving, and then hearing the audible voice of God. You know, I mean, that's pretty great. Not a lot of gifts can come close to that, except Jesus, of course. But uh, there are three points I think we can take away from this passage that I think will be useful uh, to us to be good stewards of our own gifts and to be hopeful even in the moments when we might not be. So the first is to be generous with your gifts. So if we read in verse 1, it says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. Now, right off the bat, we see God give very clear instruction, instructions to Jonah. Go and preach to this city. And we can understand that it may not have been easy for him to do this because what we need to understand is that the Israelites, and which Jonah is, and the people that he's supposed to preach to, uh, the Ninevites, they don't like each other very much. They're mortal enemies, and in fact, they've been killing each other for a long time. So his instinct is to do this. And verse 3, it says this, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, which is uh, east of Nineveh. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. That's not a great plan. So we can empathize with the fact that Jonah didn't want to do this. When we help people, the people that we don't like aren't the first ones that come to mind. Um, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to do what God asks us to do, regardless of how we feel about the situation. And that's exactly what Jonah failed to do. There's even a story in Luke's gospel about a man who behaved the way that Jonah should have behaved. Uh, in Luke uh, 10, verse 30, it's, uh, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and it says this, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left, half, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. A temple assistant then walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. This is key because just like the Ninevites and the Israelites, the Samaritans and the Israelites also didn't like each other very much. For some reason, the Israelites made a lot of people upset. Uh, Going over to him, the Samaritan smoothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handled he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, "Take care of this man. If his bill runs any higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here." Now Jesus goes on to explain that the that this good Samaritan was a good steward of the resources that he had. The donkey, the olive oil, the wine were all resources that this Samaritan had. One of Jonah's resources that God entrusted him with was the gift of prophecy, and unlike the Samaritan. Jonah wasn't a good steward of those gifts, right? So when he, and when he, didn't, when he wasn't a good steward of those gifts, it had an effect on other people. So the Samaritan, his impact on other people was good. He helped the Israelite man, and he was able to nurse him back to health. When Jonah ran away from the Lord, he not only put the Ninevites in danger because God was threatening to wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth, but he also put the crewmates on the ship in danger. In verse Uh, In verse 4, it says this, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So he also put the lives of the people on the ship in danger. We need to understand that our actions with our gifts have an effect on those around us. Right? And the reason Jonah didn't want to help the Ninevites in the first place is because he didn't feel good about it. And I've, I was actually having a conversation with Tim uh, about, Pastor Tim, about a year ago about uh, helping people. And I explained to him that the reason I like to help people is because we feel good. And what I learned from that conversation was that we don't help people because it makes us feel good. As a matter of fact, the, the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 12, 3 through 8. It says, we don't help people because it makes us feel good, but because we are made in the image of God. And as we help people, we reflect God in the world. Jonah didn't feel good about helping the Ninevites, and he ran away from his calling, and his consequences, they were severe. Right? So in 1 John 4, 17, it's even uh, John says it like this. He says, we serve not for our own benefit, but because it makes us more like Christ. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. And being more like Jesus is our ultimate goal right, as disciples and as Christians. Our second point is uh, to be quick to repent. In in verse 17 in chapter 1, this amazing thing happens. So before this verse happens, though, Jonah decides, I have an idea to stop the storm. How about you throw me into the water? That'll that'll work, right? Seems logical. They don't want to do it at first because they don't want to kill him. And actually what's funny about this is that these pagans who started worshiping other gods were the ones to humble themselves before God instead of God's own prophet. So the sailors repent before they throw him in, and while he's in the water, God sends a giant whale, or fish, depending on your theology, that's a sermon for another time. I'm just going to use whale for the sake of this sermon. And he swallows Jonah. The whale swallows Jonah, which, what a gift, because the whale ends up saving his life. It's not an ideal gift, and as a matter of fact, it's pretty strange, but the whale saves his life. The whale, one of the ways we can view the whale in this story is as a second chance. 
See, I think one of the things that we have to realize is that God is a merciful God. We know this. It's in Scripture. However, some of the lessons that we learn will not be learned by easy lessons, right? For Jonah, it took a whale. But that whale gave him time to reflect and repent. See, we will make mistakes because of our inherent sinfulness. We're descendants of Adam and Eve, and when they, fe- when they sinned, they brought sin into the world. Therefore, we are inherently sinful. See, but a whale isn't the only example of an extreme circumstance that God has used to bring someone closer to him. Can you guys think of another time in Scripture where God has gone to an extreme to help save another person's life? That's a good answer, but the answer is Jesus in this... <laughs> Thanks, Marcus. Love you, man. Jesus' death in itself was an extreme. What he went through for us was one of the most extreme deaths ever recorded in human history. But since that, think of all the people that have been saved because of his sacrifice. That was his extreme. See, Jonah has been a constant theme and story throughout my life. It's actually my favorite book in the Bible. And... When I was around six years old, uh, I have a brother, Sam, who's two years younger than me. I was six, he was four. And we probably didn't eat our vegetables or something, but we were fed up. We decided, you know what, that's it, we're hitting the road, we're running away. And so we, <laughs> we packed up our little backpacks, filled with all of our favorite toys, without any food necessary to survive. And we were like, that's it, mom and dad, we'll see you later, and we hit the road. About two steps after we walked out the door, Uh, We lived with our grandma at this time, and she's a pastor, so she knew the word, and she wanted to make sure that we knew it. So from the upstairs, we could hear her say, do you guys remember what happened to Jonah when he ran away? (laughs) I didn't want to be swallowed by a whale. (laughs) What I failed to realize in that moment was I live in a desert, the AV, and there are no whales in the desert. So I yelled at Sam to come in, and he came right back, and, you know, we, were, we probably had to eat our vegetables after that. See, a few years later, when I, when I was fit, well, not a few, many years later, when I was 15, uh, I was an angry kid who was fed up with the world, but not over vegetables this time. It was over something different. And this time, when I made my way out the door, I made it around the corner. I live off uh, Rancho Vista, And I live pretty close to the Highlands Christian Fellowship. Uh, And I walked all the way to the Highlands. And I was there for about an hour. And then Pastor Danny actually came and found me there. And when I ran away, when he found me, he gave me a talk about repentance and brought me to Life Church, where I could uh, have a meeting with the pastors about what was going on. And it really helped me uh, put in perspective what I was doing. In that moment, my whale was Life Church. My time to reflect and repent was Pastor Danny's car and that talk with him. And for us, when we fail, Jesus is our whale. Jesus is the ultimate whale. If the whale was a grace-filled opportunity from God for Jonah to rest, reflect, and repent, then Jesus is our whale in whom we are given a chance to be quick to repent. Our third point is to use your gifts that God has given you with a joyful heart. 
See, the time spent on the whale allowed Jonah time to repent, which was a good thing. He learned a lesson through a bad situation, and he followed through. In verse 3, so actually right before verse 3, we hear uh, Jonah pray to the Lord, and that's chapter 2 of Jonah, and he gets a second chance. After three days and three nights, the whale spits him out, and in verse 3, it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So we see that he does it. He goes to the city and he preaches. But the problem with what happens next is that even when Jonah is doing the right thing, he's still doing the bare minimum of what God has asked him to do. Jonah 3, 4 says this. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his whole message. That is Jonah's whole message to a group of people that is about to be wiped off the face of the earth for their sinful actions. There's not even a mention of God in his sermon. His sermon is a total of eight words long. While Jonah is partnering with God's generosity, because every time that Jonah isn't messing up in the story, he's partnering with God's generosity, which he doesn't want. He doesn't want Jonah to be generous, but he wants God to be generous when he's in the middle of a whale's belly. See, Jonah knew this. Jonah knew that God's love was so insanely powerful that he would go to lengths like a whale that have that if it meant one person would find God's love, right? See, we sing a song here at a life church called Reckless Love, and it's about uh, all the extremes, overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And it will chase me down, it will fight till I'm found, and he'll leave the 99, because that's how powerful God's love is. It, It will break down walls because God wants a relationship with us. That's how bad he wants to be with us. And Jonah knew this. And he complained about it. As a matter of fact, he uses God's love as an insult in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. This change of, so actually before chapter 4 happens, the Ninevites repent and they turn from their evil ways. And so in chapter 4, it says this. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful God and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He insults God with God's own love. Even after... Even after watching God's powerful goodness, Jonah insults him. See, I, I learned uh, something from, I go to Life Pacific University, which is a Bible college in San Dimas. And, go Warriors. <laughs> and uh, our campus pastor, Dan Fernandez, uh, was giving a sermon about Moses not too long ago. And it was uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 20, where M- God instructs Moses to uh, talk to the rock Uh, so water will flow out of it. And what Moses ends up doing is striking the rock instead. And water comes out, 
and the people of Israel are replenished, but because he disobeyed God, God says, you will not enter the promised land anymore because of what you just did. Uh, Pastor Dan explained that if he were in Moses' situation, he would say to God, but, but, but water still came out. But what Moses failed to realize is that his good, this good result did not validate his disobedience to God. Because there is a good result, it doesn't excuse our bad behavior. These thousands of people that repented and gave their lives to God doesn't excuse Jonah's bad heart in this situation and his ungratefulness for this situation. And God addresses this. Jonah 4.11, it says this, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. And this is God talking, by the way. Not to mention all the animals should not feel sorry for such a great city. Jonah's story ends with ambiguity and without a satisfying finish, but our story is not over yet. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this. How do we want our story to end? Are we being generous with our gifts that God has given us to bless others? Or will we run away when he asks us to do something that we don't like? When we do mess up, will we be quick to repent? Or will it take something as extreme as a whale to get us back on the right track? And when God has asked us to do something that we don't like, will we do those things with a joyful heart after we repent? Or will we do the bare minimum and preach an eight-word sermon? See, how our stories end will have a lot to do with how we respond to those questions. And thankfully, our story isn't over yet. We're still writing our stories, right? We still have breath in our lungs, and we got plenty of life left. See, will you pray with me now that God will help us to write the rest of our stories in ways that will honor him, in ways that aren't doing the bare minimum? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your matchless grace. Forgive us for the times that we have judged others to be less than worthy of your love and forgiveness. Help us be good stewards of our gifts today and for the rest of our day, and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we close, I'd like to ask you one final question. Are there any Ninevites in your life? Are there any people in your life that you've maybe been less than fond of as you've had experiences with them? As you're going throughout your week, my challenge for you would be to pray a blessing over them. And if you're having a hard time with that, I wrote one for you that's going to be on the screen uh, right now. And I encourage you to take a picture of that um, so that way you'll have that whenever those people do come to mind. Finally, I would like to pray a blessing over you before Pastor Tim uh, comes up to close our gathering. May God bless you. May God give you the wisdom to steward your gifts. May your hearts be quick to repent, and may you be aware of the whales of grace that God sends your way, even if they aren't easy. May you do the things that God tells you to do with a joyful heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.